Your health is our priority. Each series, it's our goal to make sure that we provide you with experts and guests that offer multiple perspectives so that you feel supported, empowered, and less alone. Like the work we do? Buy us a cup of coffee. Or tea. You can leave us a tip over at coffee.com slash the hip podcast, which is ko-fi.com slash the HIP podcast, or with the link in our show notes. When you buy us a cup of coffee, you not only support the work we do, but also gain access to early releases and downloadable resources. Again, that's coffee.com slash the hip podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Health It's Personal. Today, we are so, so thrilled to talk about men's health with urologist Justin Human. We are so excited to talk about men's health because like much of what we discussed today with him, we as a society have a history of shaming men for being open, vulnerable, and not holding up that macho man facade. And Dr. Human helps men of all ages educate themselves and their loved ones on the importance of acknowledging sexual dysfunction managing expectations, and asking for help. We've been making a huge push for women's sexual health in recent years, and Justin reminds us that we are still lacking in men's health in many ways. Yeah, for sure. Like you said, it's, well, first of all, women have been so underserved in so many areas that it's really important that we're doing that work. But like you said, men are kind of just kind of forgotten along the, you know, the wayside because There is that expectation culturally in so many cultures across the world, but especially in the U.S., where you have to be man up, right? That's it. Just man up, deal with it, get through it. No big deal. Stop whining, all that stuff. But yeah, it was really good to have this conversation because it reminded us of so many things that we still have to work on. Yeah. And so many of us have men in our lives that we care so much about. And we want to make sure that they are getting the health care and the information and the education that they need. Yeah. And uh, looking back, it's, you know, our families did the best they could. Schools did the best they could with the resources they had. But when you're a young man, you don't really want to go to the doctor anyways. When you're a person, you don't want to go to the doctor very often. (laughs) Like, who enjoys that? But like we were talking about, if we don't have a connection with that doctor, how are we going to talk about these intimate personal, sensitive, embarrassing things sometimes. That's a great point, John, because women, when you turn a certain age, you go and get an annual exam with your gynecologist. And so that at least opens that door for you. And whether or not the person that you meet with, you have a connection with and you feel comfortable asking questions, or they may not even give you any additional information other than the exam. But at least you're there in that room. And now that things are changing a bit, I imagine that those experiences are different than they were for me when I was 15 years old or whatever. But I feel like men should have that same opportunity. I agree. And it would help prevent things like me this week when I thought something was wrong and it turns out nothing was because I simply didn't understand or know or have that education. So I think if we had these conversations a lot earlier, it would prevent you from going to the doctor and being like, this is really wrong. And they're like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> like, <it's laughs> There's nothing wrong. That's, that's perfectly normal. You hypochondriac. <laughs> Do you want to elaborate on that, Sean? I'm good. It's just like, okay. <laughs> we need to learn more about biology. <laughs> yeah. Human biology yeah. and anatomy. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're dissecting frogs and really we just need a diagram. That's all we need. Yeah. Or just go home and like, just look at yourself in the mirror. Just un- <laughs> Yeah. This is your body. This is what it's yeah, supposed to be like. Fried green tomato style. Is that that movie when <laughs> yeah. Kathy Bates? Yeah. I think so, yeah. 
<laughs> been a while. We need that. Yeah. Well, and having open conversations with your doctor is so important and having conversations in general is so important. And being able to fight that stigma that if you're vulnerable with someone that they're not going to like you or whatever you're thinking that's making you scared of being vulnerable, especially men, I find, you know, people like Dr. Human and like us and like other educators are really trying to help people remember that they can be vulnerable and they should because it helps you and it helps the person that you're talking to. And that's why today we talked a lot about unrealistic expectations as well. When I think about unrealistic expectations or expectations in general, I think a lot about dating and how during the sexual health series, we've been trying to cover the topic of dating as well, because it's such an important aspect of our sexual experiences is the connection part. And sometimes that's lost, especially in the modern day when we're talking about our access to porn and how we're supposed to perform with a partner and different things like that. So again, it comes back to conversations. I think if we can normalize the idea of being vulnerable, then even if you have a really new sexual partner or someone you've only been dating for a really short time, you can talk to them or be patient with them or understand that maybe if they are having sexual dysfunction, that it doesn't have something to do with you. It's not about you. Yeah, I think people take things so personally. There's an expectation about size and performance and how long um, you can have sex for. And I think on both sides, both people need to acknowledge what's happening in your sexual relationship, good and confusing and bad and whatever it is. And also acknowledge that whatever's happening is okay. We're not these perfect specimens. Whatever is happening is normal because we're normalized, you know, not being perfect, <laughs> essentially. Well, I think many of us have felt self-conscious about our bodies for a good part of our lives. Because you see these perfect images in social media or in the media or the way people talk about it or in pornography, we have these, these certain images in our minds. And so if our breasts are a different size or however large our penises are, or if they're circumcised or not circumcised, your body hair. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. Just all those types of things, I think, make us feel really self-conscious because there's no one right way to be. And how you are is perfect and amazing. And we don't feel that about ourselves. And that's where the shame and the shyness or the lack of conversation comes from, I think. Yeah. And in those relationships, you, you might have those issues. And it's like, we're just not going to talk about it, even though it's a big issue. And it might be really bothering us and really impacting our health in so many ways. But we're like, I don't want to talk about that, <laughs> but we really yeah. should. We should just talk about it and just maybe they're feeling the same way. And they're like, cool, I'm so glad you brought it up. Also, too, if you're feeling uncomfortable about how you can have a conversation, it doesn't even have to be a conversation, but how you can acknowledge when something in a sexual relationship is feeling kind of awkward or, or strange, you can kind of, you don't have to role play with another person, but you can plan what you might say to someone if they're experiencing sexual dysfunction and try to be really compassionate because I think... There is a history of expectation on both sides. And if you are with a partner who's experiencing that, you can say to them, it's okay. <laughs> you know, right. I think a lot of times two partners apologize for how long they last. And I think that that needs to stop. Yeah, you could start a conversation with like, let's talk about body hair. Yeah. 
There are easier ways. I'm to just get kidding. Into it. Yeah. And let's talk about your sexual dysfunction. Yeah. Let's do it. No, no. Thanks for the trauma. Yeah, exactly. So I was thinking that just on that note, people will have those expectations, but there are so many other ways that in the bedroom or wherever you are, where you can, it doesn't have to be just sex, right? You can do a lot of other things there too. It doesn't have to be how long can you last or whatever. It's there's a lot more involved potentially, a lot more that you could uh, get up to to help your your partner. <laughs> exactly, Sean. I think my sex therapist, I'm trying to think what she said. She was like, there are so many different places that you can find pleasure that people don't even know about. Right. Oh, I love the fact that Dr. Human works with a sex therapist yeah. when doing sessions with, with men struggling with issues. I've really appreciated that because it connects our overall health and well-being like we've been doing on the podcast. It's like physical, but also emotional and mental too. Absolutely. So what you were saying about kind of those expectations when you go into dating, I really appreciated that. And it reminded me of in the this is across the entire U.S., but in the gay community, especially you can be on a dating app, for example, and you will come across guys who will say no uncut, like no uncircumcised. And it's like, what is that? What's that about? Because they think it's gross or disgusting or dirty. And it really helped me to dive into these topics that we do not learn about, that nobody talks about. But most of the world does not circumcise men. And there are some religious communities that do. But for the most part, the U.S. is like an exception. And uh, I don't know how much do either of you know much about it? No, no, you don't. I don't. The only thing I know is that I had a really hard time deciding that for my child. Right. Yeah, I'm really interested, though, because, yeah. It's a lot. <laughs> it's, it's really uncomfortable to talk about, right? And culturally, we feel pressured. Well, your dad was circumcised. Your grandfather was circumcised. You know, yeah, this don't is what, you want your penis yeah. to look like your dad's? And it's like, uh, yeah. when you're in the really. locker room, don't you want to? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your future wife's going to want it. And in the US, like, uh, we started doing it for a really bizarre reason. And it wasn't a thing until, well, do you know Kellogg's cereal? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, the Kellogg brothers, when they started their company way back when, they were extremely religious. And we've been talking about purity culture and topics surrounding purity culture and not, you know, you don't want to save yourself for marriage. You don't even want to think thoughts that will make you unfaithful for your future partner. And it kind of came from this deep-rooted religious belief that people should not be sexually active in any way and they should not masturbate. And so they thought that circumcising men would help them not masturbate. It would help them desensitize and not have as much pleasure. And we can see how well that's worked. <laughs> right. <laughs> because right. Uh, we still have a lot of, you know, the people Kellogg's who are very... The brothers thought yeah. this? <laughs> they had a religious community, uh, like a commune of people who were trying to purify themselves for God and for community and wife and so forth. They also wanted to chemically circumcised women. Thankfully, that did not take off. <laughs> so they it wanted didn't to catch on. Yeah, it did not. Thankfully, while they're making cereal, they were also looking at ways to mutilate human genitalia. <laughs> so that's why, unfortunately, why we are so obsessed with circumcision in the country, which is really weird to me. And I'm not an expert. I would encourage everyone to go out and look at that research and history themselves, because there's a lot more to it. But it just kind of 
you know, when we're talking about culturally and emotionally and personally, too, we have those beliefs now, like, it's weird if I'm not. But then you go to another country, you go to anywhere in Europe, and it's weird if you are. So what is normal? (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that with us, Sean, because it is not talked about very often. There is that lack of education, which is Mm -hmm. what we've been talking about this whole time. Knowledge is power. And also, in our conversations around purity culture, we discuss how purity culture was so deeply rooted in the U.S. and still is in some ways that it has made its way into the mainstream in a way that we don't even recognize. We don't even know that some of the things we're doing are because of our history with religion and these really extreme beliefs. And it's important to acknowledge that and then make a decision for yourself. And hopefully this education will encourage young men to you know, have the confidence to have conversations and seek help. And cereal has a lot of sugar in it too. <laughs> Which is also bad for your sexual health. <laughs> exactly. Like what is going on? So like how did we let these two clowns? No, it's so interesting. Crazy. Grab a cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I say this all the time, but I just feel so grateful for being able to sit in these meetings and interviews and be able to absorb all of this information and make decisions for myself and for my future children and let them make decisions for themselves too. For real. Yeah. And actually Dr. Human just posted something about circumcision versus not. And so that's what sparked this conversation. That's cool. Yeah. I know he's really trying to tackle all of these topics, which is so amazing. And something he talked about a lot too today was reminding everyone young men, you're not alone. And we say that all the time. We love that phrase. We have merch with you are not alone all over it. So if you're interested in that, just check out our Instagram or our website. But this is just why we love Dr. Human so much and his work. And so please, everyone grab a cup of tea and enjoy. Health is harmony. When you're aligned to everything you believe in is when you feel that harmony and you feel peace. Trying to get to the root cause of things. There is just so much to learn. Can you be present in those moments in your life that mean the most? Because health, it's personal. Hi, Dr. Human. Thank you so much for joining us. We're so excited about the work you're doing with men's health and the relatable way in which you are sharing this information. Because there is an embarrassment and shame surrounding many men's health topics, such as erectile dysfunction, reproductive and sexual health issues, men often don't seek medical attention or see their physician regularly. First, welcome to you, and we would love to hear about how you are serving your patients and community in a way that encourages these healthy discussions. Hi, good morning. Thank you so much for having me on. To answer your question about service and engagement, how to really spread the word about this. Really, it's, you know, as much as I think traditionally doctors, any healthcare practitioner, it's always been the type of thing where you plant a flag in a location, a region, a city, and the patients around you come to you and they serve as your population in which to treat and you could spread the word to them. Now, as internet, social media, all these things have evolved, it's becoming easier to spread the word. I mean, not all the good. There's always issues with that because sometimes you're spreading, misinforming people about things. But for the most part, using social media, using video, internet, all of these things help really spread the word. And if done appropriately, it could really help educate people and make them feel comfortable about engaging in discussions about various health, men's health topics. 
Yeah. We were just talking with someone the other day about sexual education and how it's evolved and how while there is a lot to sift through on the internet, that's not good. There's a lot of really great resources. So that's a great point. Yeah, you have to really find your right the right uh, avenue in which to explore some of these topics. Yeah, I love that you just pop on once in a while and in a really professional and relatable way, kind of share some information. Like it's almost like a tip of the day or something like that. <laughs> oh, yeah, Danny, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I try to do that. It's but, amazing. Yeah. And then I saw one the other day where you were just like, listen, <laughs> guys, if you're not seeing a doctor, you're not alone. If this thing's going on with you, you're not the only one. And I think that that's really important to hear from a healthcare professional. I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's not something they can generally hear in their everyday lives, I guess, um, just going through it. Like you said, usually it's kind of local or in their immediate environment, but you're able to reach people all over the world, which is really cool. Yeah, especially now during COVID. Well, I mean, I guess not so much during the COVID months or during the worst of the COVID months. I think people are much more locked into their technology, their smartphones, internet, what have you, social media. So it was really becoming one of these things where as much as that thing could build anxiety, you could also use it as a resource in order to help quell some people's anxiety related to men's health issues. So yeah, it's a good and bad thing. But for the most part, I think as long as we do the right thing, or at least we have the right intentions going into it, it benefits everybody. Yeah, definitely. And everyone was, like you said, so aware and so connected at that time. And I think we were all a little bit more kind of conscious of our own health in general just kind of watching for all those things. And many of us couldn't even get into our doctors anyways, because they were so booked out or overwhelmed. Um, to, not yeah. working. Yeah, some of them weren't even yeah, working. Even yeah. So there, our whole point for this sexual health series is to identify so many different aspects of our health and well-being. What connections do you see in your work with men's sexual and reproductive health to just overall well-being? Yeah, it's a great question. It's really... As a young guy, you're typically, even if you have any major health issues, your body's young enough, your body's resilient enough where it's able to mask is one way of saying it, but you're not really exhibiting or manifesting that disease process in any way. But there's two things that young guys can experience that generally they're, you know, I like to say it's like a check engine light sign, light that comes on. It's infertility or sexual dysfunction. So some guys, who are experiencing any form of erectile dysfunction, sexual dysfunction, it's easy for them to go online or go to their, you know, just basically go online, Romans, Tim's, purchase one of these, a pill or a subscription to a pill service, which helps with their erectile dysfunction, let's say. And that's great. That's, it works. It works for a lot of guys. But I mean, really, like erectile dysfunction is like the first overall sign, or usually it's the first sign of poor overall health. So it could be that you're having diabetes. It could be that you're having high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and that's how it's manifesting itself. So if you are experiencing sexual dysfunction, if you are experiencing infertility, it warrants a workup. At least go to your doctor, make sure your blood work looks good, make sure you're not having any of these. Maybe you're catching diabetes early on. You're making sure this doesn't become a chronic disease down the road. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's actually really great. And it's great to know that that's a place where somebody would pay attention. <laughs> it's like, this is a sign. You need to go to the doctor and get something else checked out because you're going to pay attention to that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You know, they did, I was at UCLA for my fellowship and they did a study there. This is right before I got there, but they had done a study and they looked at guys who would come in for erectile dysfunction. What percent of them actually had something that could be corrected, whether it was a hormonal abnormality, potentially diabetes, early onset diabetes, or even a varicocele, which is a like varicose veins of the, of the testicles, which could cause 
some infertility and hormonal issues. About 40% of guys who came in had some form of, like they had an identifiable cause behind it. It wasn't like a psychological thing. It was, there was something going on that could be corrected, making you number one, helping your overall health. And number two, not making you reliant on these prescription erectile dysfunction medications. That's incredible. And I think that's such an easy thing to say to a young man too, is just, Hey, just so you know, that if this happens to you, this might be a sign of something bigger, just to kind of keep that in their head. Because if otherwise you might not know that and just reach out online for the pills, like you said. Right. It's easy to do that. Right. And I get it, but it's not always the right way. Are there any personal experiences that kind of sparked you to take action in this area? Or why is it that you love helping men in this type of health so much? Well, I mean, I think in a lot of ways, it's, um, I'm in a similar age group as a lot of my patients. So I relate to them. I think it's a hugely underserved or no one talks about this. I mean, as urologists, I mean, urology is not that urology is a field that we only deal with. We only treat men, but a large portion of our patients are men. And you would think that as urologists would be much more focused on men's health, right? Like young men's health, but it's this huge, huge gap. And, you know, guys from 20 to 50 really don't have any access to consistent healthcare. It's really women's health has, has taken off in the last five, 10 years, but men's health, really, there's just, there's a gap in this. The primary care tries to tap into it and they, you know, they have some insight into it. Urologists, again, also they try to tap into it, but there's not so much emphasis into it. So there's this growing field of men's health. And like I said, you know, me being in this age group and seeing some of my friends who are experiencing some of these issues, it's a unique opportunity to help a large portion of young guys. It's really cool. Yeah, it kind of seems that a lot of people are kind of just waiting for that information, or maybe doctors are kind of just waiting for those patients to come to them rather than kind of reaching out even proactively. Yes. Watch for this, you know, it's really helpful. Correct. What have you seen kind of firsthand when it comes to those issues you mentioned in sex, sex ed, basically? So like you said, reaching out to these people to teach them about these topics is such a challenge. It's so underrepresented. So what kind of improvements have you seen so far in that area? So I think most people learn sex ed through pornography. That's like a, whether we like it or not, I mean, a lot of our information comes from, you know, watching videos online. Now it's videos online and it's unlimited. I mean, really, it's a large, large amount of everything. Like you really satisfy yourself in any way with pornography these days. So I think sex ed, I don't think anybody's doing a good job, or at least in the United States, I don't think we're doing a very good job of educating people the right way about it expectations in terms of performance, self-image, expectations, all of that. And I think so what happens is this is it's common to see this, at least in pra- my practice, where a lot of young guys come in with issues with sexual dysfunction, whether it's they have issues with the size of their penis, more commonly it's how long they're lasting or erectile dysfunction, like true erectile dysfunction because they're masturbating or they're watching too much pornography. That's really what it is. They're watching too much pornography. So that's a huge, and that's only going to get worse as, as these things become more stimulating, more triggering, more advanced. It's going to make wanting to watch pornography way better than the actual act of intercourse. So yeah, I think there's some improvement to made in that, in that area. Do you spend time when you're talking to these young men discussing these topics and kind of helping them navigate that? Yeah, we talk about it. We dig into the causes. So if they come in with erectile dysfunction, right? Mm-hmm. The good thing is we know for the most part what causes erectile dysfunction. It comes down to a variety of things. I break it down to four things. 
And we go through all of those things. You need good blood flow, you need good hormones, you need good nerve function, and you need to be in a good mind state. So one by one, we check off those boxes. And once we're able to identify what's causing this, let's say it is a psychological, like, you know, good mindset. Let's say this like a psychogenic erectile dysfunction. Then we delve deeper. We talk about what are their sexual habits, their masturbation habits, pornography, all of these things. And I do it with a sex therapist. There's sex therapists here in Los Angeles who are specialized in this. There's some great clinics around here who are wonderful at addressing this. So we work hand in hand to ultimately address these issues. That's really cool. So on that note, have you experienced any pushback in the medical community beyond that environment being focused on sexual health? Like you said, it's really bad in the U.S., but uh, has anyone pushed back on that? No. I mean, sexual health, I mean at least for men's sexual health, it's a topic that guys from 20, I mean, guys from 16 to 100 years old could relate to. Everyone wants to have more satisfying sexual quality of life. Everyone. So to be honest with you, it's welcome with open arms. Cool. Some of our, in some of the schools, they're like, you can't teach our kids about. <laughs> so it's nice to see. Oh, I see yeah, what no, you're no. saying. Yeah. No, in that sense, yeah, I have many resistance. No. That's really good, actually. That's really inspiring. Yeah, and it's probably, too, that you're getting people that are a bit older rather than younger mm-hmm. men. Yeah, across the board, yeah. really across the board. So most of us are aware of that macho man ideal. Men have to be these amazing physical humans with like a really thriving sex drive and never asking for help or worried about their emotions. What are you doing to kind of counteract these impacts when you talk to your patients? Well, it's a good question. I guess it's delving a little deeper and figuring out what their view of, of what a macho man should be. So if in their mind, they're like, look, I should be having sex for 45 minutes every time. And I can't do that. So, well, that's not realistic, right? That's not a realistic expectation. You talk to them about some facts. You talk to them, ask your friends, talk to your family, see if they're doing that. And you kind of, you break the barriers or you at least break the, the molds or these images they have in their mind of what, you know, their expectations. Other times, Guys will come in, they're like, my erections should be super strong every time. And then, you know, I should always be fully, fully into it when I'm having intercourse or masturbating, whatever it is. But in reality, you know, it's, that's just not realistic. You really have to just see what their perception of this macho man thing is and then break it down, talk to them about facts, explore the conversations, not just with me, with the sex therapist, some of their friends. And for the most part, over time, it's not something that happens overnight. Or it happens over the course of a few weeks. It's just, you know, it may take a few months, but over time, these perceptions are slowly broken down. Yeah. It's a good idea, too, to have a conversation with your friends and family. And I think this is such a private topic that we're obviously not always talking about it with our friends and family. But those are the people that you trust and that you rely on for information sometimes. And so if you can go to your friend and say, hey, are you are you able to have sex for 45 minutes every time? And they're like, <laughs> no. <laughs> then it kind of starts breaking well, down they'd, walls. They'd laugh at you. Yeah, mm-hmm. they'd laugh at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you find that people are having conversations, like really robust conversations with their partners about things like this? I think the ones, for the most part, the ones who are in relationships, yes. But the tougher ones to manage, the more difficult scenarios are patients who are single, who are dating, who are you know, in their minds, they're really a lone wolf out there. And that becomes a cycle, it becomes this vicious cycle where they get anxiety, bad experience, more anxiety, and just gets worse and worse and worse. So those are the hard ones. But when they're in relationships, yeah, for the most part, they are. Very rarely do I find a couple who, you know, one partner is shaming the other. It's not very common to, to see that. 
One of the best things about this podcast for us is all the amazing and insightful people we've met. Throughout each of our series, we've seen many common threads. That's why we created the Health It's Personal Inspiration Line to celebrate our unique perspectives and let others around us know that we get it too. We teamed up with artist Cloud Ramkey to help bring these common threads to life. We've all dealt with challenges in our lives that make us stronger. Hence, our new favorite saying, thanks for the trauma. We make sure to remind our listeners and friends that you're not alone and that it's always a judgment-free zone because that's where the best conversations start. Our designs are on t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies, water bottles, coffee mugs, stickers, and so much more. These are great gifts for friends, loved ones, educators, caretakers, and advocates to help show your people that you care about their health and well-being. Head over to bonfire.com slash thehippodcast, our website, or our show notes for links to the merchandise, and stay tuned for future inspirational designs and messages too. It's also interesting to think about throughout our sexual health series too, we've been talking a lot about dating and relationships and what those expectations are when it comes to dating and how when you meet someone you do want everything to be perfect and you want your performance to be great and you want them to think of you as being the best person for them oftentimes. And so that comes down to expectations too that are unrealistic. Yeah, right. Like anything else, it's about communication. You communicate your expectations, you communicate your desires and that can only develop stronger bonds. Yeah, and the more we talk about it, the more men and women and all different people can recognize what men and women are both going through in relation to sexual health. And then they can be patient with their new partner if they're having troubles or something. And then it kind of takes some of that shame away too. Exactly. That's the key. That's the key, the patience, being patient. Yeah. So I have a teenage son and it is really challenging for me to talk to him about his health at all. He doesn't want to talk about it with me. And he has a doctor and a physician that he sees once a year or whatever, which isn't really helpful. And when he does, sometimes there's a different doctor in that practice. It's not always the same person. So he doesn't have like that personal connection with his physician either, which is unfortunate. What are some things that you would have, that you would like young men to know before they get to a situation where they need to come and see you? Or what would you like them to know so that they have a realistic idea of what's expected of them and what men's health should look like? Or perhaps what do you wish you would have known when you were that age? I think the big thing that you could, that any young guy should know is if you are experiencing any, I'd say like, and I'll simplify this, but if you're experiencing any men's health issues, Mm -hmm. sexual performance issues, fertility issues, what have you, it's way, way, way more common than you think. So it's an awkward conversation. I get it for especially a young guy, but it makes guys feel a lot better when you let them know, like, look, if you are experiencing it, it's normal. It's normal. Like you'd be hard pressed to find somebody who hasn't experienced that. I mean, really, like if you look at 50% of guys before the age of 40 will have some form of erectile dysfunction. I mean, that's half the guys. And as you age, it only gets worse and worse and worse. Right. So, and that's for obviously the guys, yeah, 40, but even young guys in their twenties and thirties, like it's common. So I think if you talk to them or at least break that taboo, or at least try to break that taboo of, hey, listen, this is a weird topic and I'm the only one dealing with it. It opens the door. Like, okay, fine. If I'm not, maybe if it's more common than I think, maybe it is okay if I talk to somebody about it. But whether it's my, you know, my mother, my family, my doctor, what have you. Can you imagine if you just went around to all the schools and just said that out loud to the young men, how impactful that would be? 
I bet it would definitely resonate. Yeah. That'd be really helpful for sure. (laughs) Especially the half. It's like, whoa, that's (laughs) definitely a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. You know, my sense is it's only going to get worse. Right. Do you mind elaborating on that? Well, I mean, it kind of like what we were talking about earlier in terms of, I mean, two things. I think lifestyle, number one, and then pornography. I think we're becoming more and more sedentary. So with that, we do know that sedentary lifestyle could, amongst other things, like sedentary lifestyle, really not moving around, not staying active, not getting vitamin D, all these things, not socializing as much, all these things could decrease your testosterone levels. So that's a component of sexual health. And then pornography, I mean, really just desensitizes you because you're, I mean, you're getting every desire that you want when you watch it. So then when you go in real life, it doesn't really work. I was listening to another podcast, actually, a couple of days ago. It was a men's health podcast. A couple of my friends run that. And they were interviewing a sex therapist. And she said something great. She said, she tells young guys is masturbating is fine. But one out of every three times, you should do it without watching, watching pornography. Like, let that creative element in your mind develop, grow, maintain itself. So you're not becoming so reliant on this intense stimulus. Hmm. Yeah. It's something that's kind of new, the fact that it's so readily available and that we're on our devices all the time and it's right there. And young men have access to it 24 hours a day. So they might not even know or understand like the impacts of that. And so they're just kind of living in the moment. And it's something that, like you said, we're going to see the ramifications of that as time goes on. Precisely. Yep. Yeah. Could you tell us maybe a little bit more about... Porn is, like you said, a huge topic, especially now, and it's going to continue to be a huge topic. But what are some other huge things that you've learned while working with young men struggling with maybe porn addiction or just overuse? I'd say that guys who are experiencing it, there's a, over time with the right, with the proper therapy, the right counseling, there's a solution to it. So I guess the, the hardest part isn't necessarily like any other addiction. I guess the hardest part is you know, being aware of it. So if, opening up the door, having a conversation, hey, listen, I'm having some issues here in terms of, I think I'm reliant on pornography. So as a result of that, it's really impacting my sex life, being honest with yourself. Like porn is the type of thing where you watch it so much that it impedes your work life. Like, you know, you're late to work because of it, or you're unable to satisfy your partner or engage in a course with your partner, then it becomes a an issue. So I guess the best way of answering that is being aware of it, or at least being honest with yourself could open some doors or at least open the conversation to addressing it. Amazing. That's a great point too. It it really all comes down to having these open conversations and definitely things have changed over the last five and 10 years that we've been able to normalize or at least let people know that they're not alone when they are having these issues and that they can seek help. I think that's a great thing that people will need to Remember, young men need to remember is that they can find a solution if they feel like they're in too deep, that they're not stuck, and that they can ask for help and and kind of find help for themselves. Yeah, and there's so many different ways now in terms of finding help. You don't have to go to a therapist. You could do therapy at home, Zoom or over the phone, what have you. There's so many ways in which you could address this now that the previous ideas of going in and, you know, face-to-face, if that's like a problem for some guys, you could do it in the comfort of your own home if if it makes you more comfortable. So there's a lot of options, a lot of options. Yeah, absolutely. And having conversations can be really hard and intimidating, especially with family members who maybe 
obviously love us and have our best interest at heart, but aren't great communicators, you know, as some families are quite private about these topics. And do you have any advice on starting conversations or finding a way to build our own confidence so that young men can ask for help? And, you know, like if a young man came to you and said that they didn't feel like they could talk about it with someone, um, what advice do you think you would give them? Yeah, the best advice I would give is with everything out there now in terms of the resources available to you, whether there's doctors, sex therapists, counselors, what have you, there's a ton of resources out there to address whatever it is that you feel is affecting you or limiting your ability to fully take control of your life or be fully engaged and live a satisfying sexual quality of life. So there's a lot of resources, but really all it takes is you being willing to explore or at least open yourself up to the conversation because things will get better, but you have to feel empowered. You have to feel the, the drive in order to do it. So there's great options at the end, but you just have to be able to walk on that path or at least walk down that road in order to explore these conversations. For sure. Have you had any really successful stories with helping young men through this who maybe you could no personal details, of course, but do you have any cool celebrations that you could share? Yeah. I mean, a couple of times a week, I'll say these young guys and they're even as, as young as like 21 or 22, they come in, they're experiencing some form of sexual, I mean, some form, I'll, I'll say in simple terms, like they're having issues with their, their sexual performance. So you work them off. And then a lot of times, like I said, they have low testosterone, for example. And by boosting up their testosterone, there's ways in which we do it naturally, motivating them. Hey, listen, I'm going to help you with boosting your testosterone naturally, but I'm not going to leave you on this medication lifelong. And I'm not giving them synthetic testosterone. It's a way in which we can naturally boost the testicles to produce more testosterone. But I'm going to do this short term, anywhere from three to six months. But you have to motivate yourself to use this energy, this newfound energy to go out there and exercise more, eat better, sleep better, get sun, do the things that we do know that naturally help with good overall quality of life, all these things about exercise, eating right, sleeping. And then we'll take you off to medication. A lot of guys do that. You know, they get that. All I'm doing is giving them a little bit of a boost and they come off the medication and their life has changed and they've made significant changes to their own life. And that way, now they're on the right track and they've lost weight. They feel better about themselves. They're more confident. Their sexual performance has improved. They're better at their work. They're better in their relationships. I mean, it completely changes your life around. Yeah. Can you explain how exactly your diet and exercise impacts your testosterone levels? So kind of like we were talking about earlier in terms of sedentary lifestyle, if you're not being active, if you're not moving around, you're not really stimulating your body to produce. It's one way in which you could produce or trigger your body to produce testosterone. So exercise, you know, there's, we have science on this in terms of how you could naturally boost your testosterone levels. Heavy weightlifting of the big muscle, the chest, the back, and the legs. So by doing those types of exercises, I tell guys to do it three times a week. That's helping boost up your, your testosterone levels. Cardio exercises, ironically, doing too much. Well, cardio doesn't really help in terms of boosting up your testosterone levels, but high-intensity inter interval training does. So if you're able to do you know, high-intensity training with weightlifting, taking a one- to two-minute break, and then going back, that helps. And then with, in terms of diet, diet, and when I say diet, it's eating leafy greens, complex carbohydrates, and lean proteins, non-processed foods. These all are just, again, what's good for your testosterone, what's good for your erections, what's good for your reproductive abilities, good for your overall health. So all of these things could help boost up not just your testosterone and your sexual performance, but also your overall health. But whatever motivates you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
But I like that because it reminds us that there are so many parts to this, too. It's not just you can't just do one quick fix and it's going to solve everything. It's, you know, cumulative. Precisely. Yeah. Precisely. Yep. And I think that's something like sexual health. And um, if you're struggling with sexual dysfunction, that that's a motivator enough for some people to finally make some healthy lifestyle changes or hopefully is. And so it's nice to know that there are things that they can do that will just benefit them all around. Truly, truly. It'll benefit them all around, all around. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about misconceptions today, and you recently shared a video involving vasectomies and the procedures and how some people are so leery (laughs) of it. And so really breaking the stigma involving this procedure. Would you mind sharing a bit with us about what men think about this procedure and what the reality is? Yeah, I think the biggest concern about it, about a vasectomy is pain because it's that part of your body. It's a very sensitive part of your body. And then how it's going to impact me afterwards in terms of not just reproductive, you know, fertility, because we do know it's like a permanent sterilization procedure, but is it going to impact your libido, your sex drive, your sexual performance, your testosterone levels? So it does none of those, right? So the, really the only thing it does is it impacts your body's ability to produce sperm or excuse me, not even body's ability to produce sperm, but your body's the exit route of the sperm. So your testicles are still producing sperm. One surgery that I do a lot of is called a vasectomy reversal. So here in Los Angeles, it's relatively common for guys to have a first wife, build a family, and then, you know, they'll have another wife down a few years later and they'll, you know, be ready to have another family. And in between that time, they'll get a vasectomy. So getting a you know, having a vasectomy reversal, you know, for the most part, if it's within 10 years, the success rates are quite high. They're very, very high. After that, the success rates go down a little bit. But even then, so even if you have a vasectomy and you want to have a kid down the road, you have that option because you could reverse your vasectomy. But in terms of what I was talking about earlier, testosterone, libido, sexual performance, it impacts none of those. Yeah, definitely a lot of misconceptions out there, I think, or just miseducated. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Do you notice any other huge misunderstandings people might have around just maybe men's health in general while we're on the topic? I'll say one I think that's pretty important is, I guess this is in a broad way of answering that question, but one uh, misconception is that, or one thing that guys should understand is if you're going to be, if you're interested in having kids and you take or you're on synthetic testosterone or you plan on starting synthetic testosterone, like testosterone replacement therapy, whether it's injections, creams, pellets, usually it's the injections, you're basically making yourself sterile for a short period of time, not permanently, but a short period of time. And I think most guys have have patients come in every week who they're trying to have a kid and they're firing blanks. And then when you ask them, are you on testosterone? They're like, yeah, I've been on it for a few years. No one ever told me. So it takes them months to recover, um, anywhere from like, you know, four, four to seven, four to eight months to recover, which I mean, in some situations in some family planning situations, it's, um, those are important months. So just something to be mindful of. It's okay to be, if you're interested on it, that's fine, but bank your sperm or freeze your sperm before you go down that route. Cause that could save you some time and some money. That's a great point. Yeah, that's great. I know that there are a lot of misconceptions and miseducation, like we've talked about this whole time, and you've shared a lot of great ways on how young men can build confidence and get themselves to the doctor and ask the right questions. And so I think we'd just like to know how parents or people who 
love young men and are in their lives and want to help them can start to have healthy, open conversations and encourage them to start going to the doctor on a regular basis if maybe they aren't so open to it, you know, kind of like Kate was talking about. Kate and I are mother and daughter, by the way, if you didn't know. (laughs) So her teenage son is my brother, Max, and we're always talking about how to help educate him on men's health because he doesn't want to talk to either of us. (laughs) He doesn't want to be educated. (laughs) Yeah, so that's funny. I guess what we, we were alluding to earlier, it's just making them feel that they're not alone. It's tough in terms of, it'd be great if there was a resource out there, but ultimately it's exposing them to the idea that there are resources out there, there's opportunities out there, there's conversations to be had with whoever it is. There's tons of people out there who'll be more than willing to talk to you about these things. Maybe it's not your brother, excuse me, mother or your sister, but there's people out there who'll be more than willing to discuss this with you. And it's just really exposing them to that. Yeah, absolutely. I think, too, it's really nice that there are some young men physicians and pediatricians because I think that I know my son particularly feels more comfortable speaking with young men about these types of things. And so when there are young men physicians that are willing to really connect and impart that wisdom and share that information, I feel really grateful about that. We need it. Right, right. Agreed. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. A text line. (laughs) If guys could just text their questions to another cool guy, that would be great. Let's, (laughs) yeah. Makes life a lot easier that way. I mean, I guess I would just reiterate that these types of issues, and I've said it numerous times, it's really, it's, it's common. It's way, way more common than you think. I think it'd be harder to find somebody who hadn't experienced this at least once in their lifetime or once up until this point in their life. So Everyone relates to you. It's unfortunately just because of, you know, where we are or this being a somewhat taboo subject, people aren't willing that willing to engage in it or talk about it, even with their best of friends or their family members. But you are not alone. Absolutely. I love that. And I think that all of the amazing messages that you're sharing on social media and the information that you're sharing really helps to kind of bridge that gap and make people feel that way. So we're so thankful for you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And you do so much work kind of supporting others. So one big question we love to ask our guests is, how do you kind of navigate that for yourself? How do you find that support in your own life so that you can kind of fill your cup back up after helping so many people? With a good social group, good social support around myself, my friends and my family, and even my fellow doctors, the group that I'm with, we're all, uh, I'm no different than any other doctor. So our wants and needs are similar. So we get it when it comes to supporting each other. That's amazing. That's great. Well, thank you so much for talking with us today. Thanks, Justin. Have an amazing day. You too. Have a great weekend, guys. Take care. Take care. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Health It's Personal. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts for bonus episodes and new releases every Wednesday. Please listen, subscribe, engage, and send us topics we can explore that would help you on your journey. Because health, it's personal.